Y'all just been clapping today, I tell you. You know, there are dualities in our life and in our faith. Uh, Pastor Rob mentioned the mountains and the valleys. You know, there's this duality we have in our faith of both truth and grace, right? A duality of death and resurrection. There is this duality that is wrestling inside of me right now that maybe is inside of you of both profound sadness and extreme excitement. I don't know any other way to say it. I'm going to miss y'all. I think you're going to miss me. And and you, y'all be clapping for me. You don't have to keep clapping, all right? Um, but go ahead. Keep, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but here's what I know. God is faithful. And we are excited. I don't know if I've... Have, so I've, I know I've told you I'm from Texas. Have, have I told you about my family before? Okay, I told you. My wife, Melissa, and we have a four-year-old son, Liam. My wife, Melissa, grew up about... I think six miles from where we're going to move. And her family, she is, uh, so she comes from a really big family. I'm talking like really, my big fat Greek wedding big, right? Uh, and she has, she's the youngest of five. She has 12 nieces and nephews. And her parents all live in Richmond. Liam has, uh, two of his cousins are his age. Her sisters, Melissa's sisters had uh, children at the same time. My point is, we are excited for our family. I'm excited to go and to be a senior pastor. Uh, but I will miss you all. I will miss you dearly, and I need you to know that. But I know you're going to be great. I know this church, this healthy, wonderful, extraordinarily amazing church, will continue to do what God has called you to do, because you are a faithful people who seek God's will in your life and for this church. I know that. You know how I know this? Well, I know that I've worked alongside of many of you, walked with many of you. I know that the leaders of this church seek God's will for their life and for this church. And they are faithful. I know that we have an amazing staff. I want to say that again. We have an amazing staff that does great work. And they are faithful people who love God and they seek God's will for their life and for this church and they humbly walk alongside each and every one of you as they seek to do God's work in this world and I'm thankful for them and they will continue to do God's great work here through this church. And I also know that for the last year and a half we have been praying and waiting for God to give us this vision of what's next for Ebenezer. Well church, you're going to be busy for six years. Six years doing what God has called you to do through this Uh, Vision 2025, and God's going to change lives through you and through this church, both in and around Stafford County and out into the world. And finally, now he had to go cry, so he had to leave, but (laughs) he's going to take this harder than you all are, so just know that. But uh, you have a senior leader who is extremely capable, competent. He, he is faithful to God and loves Jesus Christ and seeks God will, God's will in his life and for this church. And he is a dear friend of mine. And I will miss Pastor Rob. But you guys get to keep him. So I'm a little jealous. My point is, church, you're in good hands. But most importantly, and please do not forget this, Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And as long as you continue to follow Jesus Christ with all you've got... This church will continue to do exactly what God has called you to do, and you will do just that. 
So y'all are in good hands. Keep being the church. And uh, I don't need to preach, so let's just stand and sing our closing hymn. <laughs> Nobody stood up. Well, one, I got one person today. Okay, we got another. Oh, man, if only that were the case. Uh, no, actually, what we are going to do, though, is we're going to play a game. Are y'all all right with that? All right, we're going to play some Mad Libs. I was, uh, you know, I got to hang out with middle schoolers the other day, so I picked it up. Uh, you remember the game Mad Libs? So I'm going to ask for uh, words, specific words, like uh, an adjective. I know you know this, but it's a descriptive word, like the color blue or, you know, I don't know any other descriptive words. Apparently, that's all I know. <laughs> I'll also ask you for a noun, like person, place, or thing. If we have any uh, English majors, just keep us all honest, would you? And uh, I'll ask you for those things. You don't have to raise your hand. You just you just call them out. And and remember this: we're in church. <laughs> all right. I feel like I shouldn't have to say it, but I I said it at 9:45, and I should have said it more often. We are in church, church. <laughs> So just keep keep that in mind. All right. I need an adjective. I'm sorry. Funny. Oh, okay. I need a person's name. Beth. All right. I need two nouns. Dirt. Cool. Grass. Dirt and grass. Okay. All right. I need I need a plural noun. Maybe away from the Earth family. Uh, What? Cats. This is going to be a good one. I can feel it. All right, I need another noun. Meteor. Meteor. Why not? I love that. All right, and uh, give me a shape. Hexagon. I heard hexagon. Somebody earlier said round. Close. Uh, and uh, I need two different numbers. Two numbers. Five and seven. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, somebody said pie earlier. That was uh, hilarious. All right. Y'all ready to hear about pizza? It's going to be good. Might get a little dirty and grassy, but it will be good. Pizza was invented by a funny chef named Beth. To make a pizza, you need to take a lump of dirt. And make a thin, round grass. Yeah. It's yummy. Then you cover that dirt and grass uh, with tomato sauce, mozzarella cheese, and fresh chopped cats. I apologize for any cat lovers out there. But uh, it sounds like a delicious pizza. Next, you have to bake it, and this is accurate, in a very hot meteor. And when it's done, cut it into five hexagons. And if I could, I would eat pizza seven times a day. That's actually true. Right, I would. That was fun, right? Let's just keep doing that. Okay. The sad truth for our lives is that we are constantly inundated with information. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like people are just randomly calling out adjectives and nouns and things that I need to know and remember. 
Think about how many emails you receive a day, how many texts you need to respond to, how many times your phone is ringing and you feel obligated to respond. You're you're looking at your news feed constantly and you're learning more information about what's going on around the world. You can Google anything in this world at any time, so arguments are pointless now, but they're still fun. In fact, you can find statistical data to both prove and disprove anything you want in this world. It's amazing. My point is, there is an abundant abundance of information. In fact, I would argue there is more information available to us on a daily basis than any one person can actually handle. And it can feel overwhelming. Would you agree? How do we make sense of all this random information in our lives? How do we put it into not only knowledge and understanding, but into action? How do we figure out what we're supposed to do with our lives with all the information that is constantly coming at us? So here's my goal for today. As we conclude our Believe series, we're going to be talking about what we know. I want to provide a way to better understand what we know, right? How do we as people of faith know what we know? We've been talking about it for the past few weeks about who God is, right? What sin is, who Jesus Christ is for us, what the church can be. How do we know all that stuff? Where do we find it? Did Pastor Rob just make it up? No, right? It comes from a faith, a framework for faithfulness, a framework of faithfulness. Now, our framework for faithfulness is the way we know what we believe. And our framework is simple. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. In the Methodist Church, we call this the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Say that three times fast. Wesleyan quadrilateral. So I I chose not to actually put the shape of a quadrilateral up there, and here's why. Um, Because that would, for some, be confusing. Because it might imply that all four parts are equal. They are not. Scripture is the foundation of what we believe. It is primary for our understanding of how we know what we believe. And so everything is filtered through Scripture. Right? Scripture is primary. It's the foundation. And then we use the tools of tradition, reason, and experience to better understand, alongside with the Holy Spirit in the church, to better understand what Scripture means for our knowledge and for our lives. So... Uh, John Wesley actually uh, is, so Albert Outler was uh, reviewing, researching John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Everything, John Wesley was a brilliant man, and Albert Outler was figuring out how John Wesley came to certain conclusions about his faith and about his discernment. And he coined that the Wesleyan quadrilateral. That's how we came up with this. Uh, and it should be noted that it actually came to existence after John Wesley uh, died. He didn't come up with it. It would have been a bit pretentious for John Wesley to say, I have come up with a Wesleyan quadrilateral. It is the way we know how God is speaking. That would have been a bit too much, John Wesley. Uh, it's my last day, so you could just laugh at everything and just pretend that I'm making making jokes. No, it's not my last day. i got months. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. It's what we've used as United Methodists for our framework for faithfulness. But here's the thing, I believe that this method, we're Methodists, believe that this method can actually be traced back to the early church. I'm going to walk through uh, scripture as we look at, I think, the most important question they were asking as the early church. Was Jesus of Nazareth 
really who he claimed to be? Right? It's, it's, I would say, one of the most important questions we can ask. It's certainly the question they were asking. And so we're going to look through Acts chapter 2, verse 2, uh, verses 14 through 47. And as we prepare to look through that story, I want to tell you that the story picks up where we left off last week. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The disciples are gathered in the upper room. They're praying together. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon them like this violent rushing wind. And these tongues of what were above their heads? Fire. That's right. These tongues of fire were resting over their heads. And everybody was in Jerusalem from all over the world. And they were... Uh, coming together for this festival and all of a sudden by the power of the Holy Spirit the apostles went out and they began to share the good news of Jesus Christ but in languages they didn't themselves know but that the people they were talking to spoke and understood and so Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse, verse 14 explains this to everybody it says then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and address the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. In other words, let me explain why we can talk in your languages, because it's not our power. He says, listen carefully to what I say. Now, I'm not going to go over, I'm going to briefly talk about that big chunk of Peter's speech. But here's what he does. He makes a point, right? He says, this is what's happening. And then he goes immediately to the book of Joel, chapter 2. And he begins to quote scripture. Anytime Peter wants to prove something, what does he do? He goes back to scripture. And so in Joel, he says, according to the prophet Joel, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. He's like, that's what's happening here. And then he continues to go and he talks about who Jesus of Nazareth was. And he says, David actually prophesied who this guy is. What did Peter do when he wanted to prove something? He went back to what? Scripture. This time he goes to Psalm 16 and he begins to talk about how David said, God, I know that you will keep me from death. And then Peter goes on and says, but but David's dead. You see, David was a prophet. He was prophesying of what was going to come of his descendant. And certainly that has happened because Jesus of Nazareth has come and has risen into heaven. And David talked about that. And any time Peter wanted to prove who, if Jesus really was who he said he was, what did Peter do? He went back to what? That's right, he went back to Scripture. He quoted Psalm 110. And then he concludes his speech in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And scripture goes on in verse 41, those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Y'all remember the story of Peter in the Gospels, right? The guy who denied Jesus three times. The same guy that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Who knew that guy could preach? He couldn't. The Holy Spirit was working through him. And what did Peter rely on? as he was preaching and testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. Scripture. You see, the foundation of our framework for faithfulness is revealed in Scripture. If you have your bulletins, you can actually follow along in the back. Revealed in Scripture. 
This is the primary basis for our knowledge regarding Christian belief. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, he says, Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, what Paul is saying is that when we read the Bible, it reads us better than we can read it. Can you imagine that? A book that can read us better than we can read it. Scripture is alive, and it works in our lives. Now, here's something to remember. As we read Scripture, we do so humbly. And as we try to understand its meaning for our lives, we cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit helping us to understand what it means. It won't make sense otherwise. We also need to be surrounded by a body of believers. It helps us. But we should remember that everything, everything, everything necessary for salvation is contained in our Bible. The Bible does not, however, interpret itself. Tradition, reason, and experience are three limited lenses that we use to interpret the limitless gift of Scripture that God has given us. Tradition, reason, and experience. Think about it. The 3,000 people who were baptized that day. They just heard a good news, the good news about Jesus Christ. They were baptized, and then they just went along their way, right? Nothing else. No. They actually used the tools of tradition, reason, and experience to bring to build a framework for faithfulness. Our framework for faithfulness is the way we know what we believe. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to scripture. The people responded by reading scripture together. The apostles taught them. They spent time together really understanding what they believe as they began to form for themselves if Jesus really was who he says he is. They formed practices. They broke bread together. They experienced communion together as a church. They started building this tradition of becoming the church. They prayed together. They prayed publicly. They prayed privately. They prayed not only for themselves, they prayed for each other. They didn't just pray for each other, they prayed for their enemies. They, they used scripture to build our tradition. Scripture, and it's where they came up with giant ideas like the Trinity. They passed on these ideas from generation to generation. Scripture is illumined by tradition. That way we don't recreate the wheel. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2. He says, What you have heard from me through many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. What is Paul saying? That our tradition, what people have understood about Scripture throughout time, generation and generation, has been passed on. And that is true for us. We stand on the shoulders of the saints. And yet, it should be said that traditions change. Right? If you go on to read the book of Acts, they were asking, they were really wrestling with a few different questions, right? Can you follow Jesus? This is really important. They wanted to know, can you follow Jesus and have pulled pork at a barbecue? 
I mean, I'm from Texas. I'm partial to brisket, so it doesn't really matter to me, but it is delicious, right? They're like, hey, Freddie's got this smoker. It smells delicious. I feel like if we have a faith in Jesus Christ who's, who's fulfilled the law for us, we should be able to have some pulled pork, right? Amen? Come on. And so they wrestled with these questions. Their tradition started to change as they built upon what their understanding of Scripture was. There's another question if you were Jewish, right? And you were born Jewish on the eighth day. You were circumcised if you were male. And so they wanted to know, hey, all of these people who aren't Jewish are testifying to their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're getting baptized. Uh, does this 50-year-old male Gentile, guy who didn't grow up Jewish, who's never been circumcised, should, should we circumcise him? Right? Praise the Lord, they said no. Hey, this is good news for some people. They decided that faith in Jesus Christ was enough. Our framework for faithfulness is the way we know what we believe. Tradition isn't the only tool we use to uh, interpret Scripture because it's not always perfect. What we know about what we believe is confirmed by reason. It's confirmed by reason. Now, this is tricky because when we are engaged at work with God in this world and God is working through us, you know what happens? Our understanding, what we know, changes. God changes our mind. Why? Because we begin to see the amazing thing that that God is doing out in the world. We can see things we didn't see before, and so we understand things differently. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, uh, Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't think the way that everybody thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Reason reminds us that our intellectual capabilities are a gift from God and it is integral to God's ongoing revelation to the world as well as our comprehension of doctrines conveyed through Scripture. In other words, Our framework for faithfulness, right, is the way that we know what we believe. And it's confirmed by reason. Now, the early church, they didn't just learn about Jesus. They didn't just talk about Jesus. They didn't just think about Jesus. They experienced him together. Their understanding of who Jesus is was vivified, brought to life by personal experience. Here's how Acts 2 concludes. All believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You see through their experience. And as they read scripture, they realized, oh man, we need to live out servant leadership. If somebody else needs something, we need to be there for them. And and in those moments, they begin to experience God working in their lives and they, they felt blessed. And every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes. They did life together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And what did God do? What did they experience God doing? Verse 47, it says that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These people who had come from all over the world who spoke many different languages, were unified in their faith in Jesus Christ, and they didn't even know each other. But as they lived out biblical truth together, it changed their lives. Man, more than that. 
change the world. You see, our, fa- our framework for faithfulness, well, it isn't just the way we know what we believe. It's also a framework for action. You see, I'm convinced that we can use our understanding of Scripture through the lens of tradition, reason, and experience to do more than just know something about God. Right? We can live our faith. In other words, I think that Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience can help us to make simple decisions. Like, what am I going to do this afternoon? Well, if I'm involved in Scripture and I read my Bible daily and I'm immersed in God's Word and God's Word is is literally working in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit, if I am relying on my tradition, on my reason, and on my experience and I can begin to see God working in this life and I feel convicted to be a part of it, well, this afternoon might look different as I pray that God would lead me and I would rely on Scripture, reason, and tradition, and experience. I'm, I've preached this a couple times. I'm, I'm losing sight of what those words are, so that happens. We can also, and it also helps us to ask bigger questions. Like, what should I do with the rest of my life? So I use this framework to help me figure out if I was called to ordain ministry in the United Methodist Church. I felt the call when I was 14 years old. I began to search scripture and to see what scripture said about the Holy Spirit working through us, about the church, about leadership. I began to seek what it meant to be called. I read the call story of King David, the call story of Peter, which gives hope to all pastors. I read the call story of Saul, who became Paul, and the calling of Stephen. I relied on the Holy Spirit to help me understand. I relied on the tradition of the United Methodist Church and their process for affirming and identifying individuals who feel called to ordain ministry. My reason told me I wasn't good enough to be a pastor. I want you to know that. But the more I read scripture, the more I relied on the Holy Spirit and my tradition, I felt my reason becoming transformed by the Holy Spirit. I stopped relying on my own power because frankly, church, I'm not a great pastor, but God's a good God. And God can work through me if I would simply surrender my life over to him. Well, he changed my reasoning to understand that. And finally, I experienced it. I lived it. I tried it. I tested it. I was a youth pastor from uh, all through college. I was a, 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 a pastoral intern four separate times. And I attended the greatest seminary in our modern era. Now, when you see Pastor Rob, remind him, I attended the greatest seminary in modern era. The greatest. And I experienced in my heart what I already knew in my head. It wasn't just about what I knew. It's about what I felt. That God had indeed called me to ministry in the United Methodist Church. Our framework for for faithfulness. Well, it's the way that we know what we believe and the way we live it out in the world. Man, we've got some folks who have worked hard over the years, generation to generation, to pass that same faith and knowledge on to us. And we stand on their shoulders. The question is, church, what are we going to do with it? Well, my challenge to all of us is that we live it. Let's pray. 
Oh, holy God, we thank you for all that you've given us. For your word through scripture. And for the lenses of tradition, reason, and experience that we might better understand your word for our lives. Your calling upon our life. And so I praise you and thank you for every person in this room. And may your Holy Spirit continue to guide and lead us. That we would follow you together as the church out into this world. And so we praise you and thank you. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen.